What is up, everybody, and how's it going? I'm Alex Goldstick, and you are listening to the Spring Forward Podcast. We're bringing two episodes to you this week in order to highlight another one of the Spring League's former players who is getting ready to make his XFL debut this weekend. Also of note, this is our 30th episode, which, outside of being a large number, is also a round one, so I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that and can't wait to hit you with another 10, 20, 30, and so on. Before we hit the interview, let's do some Spring League housekeeping. The first event on the Spring League calendar in 2020 will be a first-of-its-kind game where the Spring League will take on an external opponent for the first time in the Japan National American football team. On March 1st, a team predominantly made up of former Spring League standouts will take on the team from Japan in Frisco, Texas at the Star. While participation in the game is invite-only, tickets are on sale now, and I'll drop a link in the description of this pod for you to take a look at those. From Dallas, the Spring League will be going directly to Las Vegas for the Spring League 2020 and the flagship event of the year. Applications to play in Vegas are still open. The only way to get an invite to the Spring League is to apply, so head to thespringleague.com to find that link. I believe that's it for my intro. Let's get to the interview with today's featured guest, wide receiver Dantes Bird. Dantes Bird is a wide receiver from Louisville, Kentucky, who is gearing up to make his debut in the XFL with the Seattle Dragons. Bird attended both the University of Louisville and Tennessee Tech before getting a chance with the Atlanta Falcons. He attended the Spring League Showcase Orange County 2 in 2019. Dantes, welcome to the pod. Hey, how you doing? It's a nice honor to be here. Um, so... Like I said, you're from Louisville, and you started your college career at Louisville. Actually, the second spring forward guest from U of L. We had Lorenzo Malden on uh, last year, but you had to walk on there after receiving no scholarship offers out of high school. I read. Um, so we know where you're at now, but why do you think you weren't recruited heavily out of high school? Um, I know out of high school, I really didn't take football um, quite serious until after my junior season of high school. Uh, Junior year of high school, I played uh, defensive back. I was uh, rotating between corner and safety. Um, senior year, I ended up moving to the offensive side of the ball and uh, was primarily a receiver. Played a little DB, but uh, my focus was on receiver. Um, had talked to a couple of FCS teams and had a D2 uh, teams talk to me and other small uh, schools talk to me, but my dream was to go to University of Louisville, and when uh, Coach Bedford came to the—I mean, when he came to Ballard, he uh, talked to me about being a preferred walk-on. So once he said that, it's like I blocked everything else out, and I, that's what I wanted to do. And I knew if I got an opportunity at Louisville, I would uh, be able to compete and get my all and try to get a scholarship. You mentioned Ballard High School, and and you're from Louisville. So how how far is Ballard actually from campus? Uh, it was, it's 20 minutes uh, from Ballard to University of Louisville, so it's not really far. So I, as you mentioned, you had a walk-on. I think we hear the term walk-on a lot when watching college sports. You know, Even when those players succeed, like yourself, um, it's something that always has to be mentioned along with their name. So how did you find out that you secured a place on the team? Um, it's still a pretty amazing accomplishment to, to get to a Power 5 program, walk-on or, or scholarship. Basically, yeah, when they had came to my school and talked to me, they uh, told me that I would be uh, playing wide receiver as a walk-on. That's where they wanted me to start out at. And um, they they 
think they thought that I had the skill set to be a successful walk-on wide receiver at the University of Louisville. And they always felt like if I didn't like receiver, I could always move to DB. But they wanted to start me out at wide receiver. So I knew, like, going into University of Louisville, that my main focus would be doing whatever it takes to get a scholarship and to get on the field. And I knew I would have to do that through special teams. And and what was that moment like when, when you did get a scholarship? Because as you just mentioned, special teams, you excelled there. Uh, yes, yeah. It was it was a very surreal uh, moment. Um, Coach Petrino called me up to his office. I didn't know what for. I have never been up to his office before that. So he had called me up to his office. So when I went up to his office, he uh, had my scholarship laid out on his desk and he uh, told me to sit down and talk to me and told me that they was going to uh, put me on scholarship uh, moving forward and wanted to thank me for my contribution on special teams and uh, my hard work and basically said that he's been noticing and wanted to reward me with a scholarship and I was very happy at that moment. Yeah, and that's that's amazing just uh, just hearing you say that. Um, ultimately, we know that you decided to transfer to Tennessee Tech uh, after your redshirt sophomore year. So that means you spent three years at Louisville. Um, yes, sir. In 2017, you became Tennessee Tech's first receiver in school history to gain more than 1,000 yards receiving in a single season. Um, and you did that on 78 catches for 1,003 yards. Uh, what snap for you? Because we don't we don't need a spoiler alert to know where you're sitting right now. So you go from walk-on at a power five to eventually earning a scholarship to essentially becoming the most pr- prolific receiver uh, to come out of this D1 FCS school. Yeah, so when I got to Tennessee Tech, uh, a lot of people questioned me for uh, maybe they, what they would say moving down since it's going from a power five to an FCS. Uh, people really didn't know my motive of doing that. Um, I thought if I went to an FCS uh I have built a good relationship with uh, Coach Riscotti. Uh, he is from Louisville, and he played at Louisville. So I had a good connection with him. So, yeah, I got the offensive coordinator at Tennessee Tech, and he was the first one to re- reached out to me uh, when he got the job at Tennessee Tech because he had heard that I got a release from the University of Louisville. So I thought with me going there, uh, I would have more of a bigger role on special teams. With that being said, I would be a, a a returner, uh, have more of a bigger role at receiver and um, not kind of just be a guy to just come in and just give a, a starter a, a blow for a couple plays. I'll be a guy that the team would depend on and I could be a leader and just do more and get more out of my ability at Tennessee Tech that was maybe going unnoticed at the University of Louisville. And so at what point did you know that, that it wasn't just to give the starters a breather? Like, you were the best receiver to come out of that school. Um, it it kind of hit me um, mid, midway through the season. I um, started getting a bigger role at Tennessee Tech and uh, started making more plays. Uh, we went up against the University of Tennessee um, at Neyland, and it was their homecoming, and I had one of my best games I had of my college career. And after that moment, I no longer questioned myself and felt like I could play on any stage. I thought I went against Tennessee and had a big game and put up some really good numbers and uh, kind of just showed that I belonged out there. Um, the stage wasn't too big. So after that, 
I just took that momentum and finished out the season strong. And it was the last game of the season. And I, I was just playing. Like, I didn't know I was close to any records or anything. But um, come to find out after the game, I had broke the a single set, a single season reception record and a single season receiving record, and I set a new uh, career. I mean, a new uh, past the one thousand uh, yard marker. So that was that was pretty cool, and I found that out right after the game. That's awesome. And and as far as uh, as far as stages go in this sport, there aren't many that are bigger than than an SEC stadium. Um, so you you know you took that confidence in in 2018 and you went to mini camp with the Falcons, uh, ultimately earning an invite to training camp and the preseason. Um, so this ride you had been on the previous five or so years with you know no scholarship offer no D1 scholarship offers to to walking on the Louisville to Tennessee Tech. What's it like for you to walk into an NFL complex for the first time? Um, it kind of keeps me going at the end of the day. Um, no matter what I do, uh, I'm always going to be an underdog. Uh, I didn't come. I didn't graduate from a big school. The uh, teams know me from coming from a small school, so I'm always going to be an underdog. So every opportunity I get to, uh, whether it's Atlanta Falcons or even the Lions League, um, I'm still going to be the underdog. So I got to approach every opportunity with a chip on my shoulder, and I have to show the coaches I belong and I can play with the best. As far as your time with the Falcons goes, you made it through all of training camp playing in four preseason games. Uh, you caught three passes for 76 yards. And, you know, for anyone who's ever seen Hard Knocks or one of those type of docu-shows, like to even make it through preseason is an incredible accomplishment. Uh, what, do you, what do you take from that, that moment in time um, on the biggest stage possible uh, at the pinnacle of the sport that you still keep with you to this day? Yeah, I I was very thankful for my opportunity with the Atlanta Falcons. I was able to learn from guys like Mama Sanu and Julio Jones, uh, which they had a close eye on me and kind of taught me stuff that still sticks with me today and basically um, made me feel comfortable. And they, they taught me some stuff that I can, even if I was to later coach football, um, I could teach up kids and continue passing down their knowledge that they passed down to me. And it's just, it's really just all about um, just meeting people and learning what, what, get, what they did to get on the stage and what I can take from that to help me be better off in my career. Absolutely. Now you mentioned it uh, briefly, I think two questions ago, but last year around this time you were gearing up to begin play with another startup football league in the AAF with the Memphis Express. Um, I know you had an ankle injury for most of that time, but uh, we want to get to the spring league in the XFL, but I just quickly wanted to see if you, if you thought that experience was ultimately a good one, given what happened to the league. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I wish the league would have uh, finished out. Um, I thought that was a pretty good league, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed time playing at the AF and enjoyed playing for uh, Mike Singletary, a legendary coach. Uh, it was a very good experience, and I was very thankful for that opportunity. All right, so now we're at the Spring League. Uh, how did you find out about and ultimately decide to attend the Spring League Showcase? Um, yes, I have found out the Spring League. Uh, basically, um, other players I played with, uh, like Lorenzo Malden and Johnny Manziel, they uh, talked about. They told me about the Spring League. And um, at this moment, I had just been at home just 
uh, waiting for an opportunity and I got tired of waiting. So I, I was like, I'm going to go to the spring league and work for the opportunity and show people that I, I should be given op- another opportunity to play football. So that's uh, my take on going to the spring league. And I'm thankful for that opportunity as well. What do you remember most about your time in Southern California with the Spring League, whether it was a specific coach or a play you made or players you met? Um, my time, it, it was uh, really – I think it was good competition. Everybody was out there with a chip on their shoulder, which I really enjoyed. Uh, it was regular schedules, basically like it would be like if you were in the Alliance or XFL, uh, had XFL rules that they was – using and testing out. So I knew at the end of the day, if I was going to be going to XFL, this will also be a great opportunity for me to get familiar with the rules and familiar with the play style. And I enjoyed that. Well, so, so, you, so you're reading a little bit ahead of my notes, um, but the, the XFL had a draft in October, then a supplemental draft in November. Um, but you were in addition to, to the Seattle Dragons ra- roster after both of those went by and you still made the team. Um Though not getting drafted for you especially was a surprise for me for one because I remember them following you around with cameras and doing a feature on you at the showcase. Um, yes. So did you have any indication on either of those draft periods that you were gonna get taken or not get taken? I guess. Um, prior to the XFL draft, I had went to the St. Louis showcase and I performed really well and uh, had impressed their coaches, the receiver coach and the head coach there, and. Uh, Really thought that I was going to have an opportunity there. Um, before the draft, uh, I came up. I had talked to every team, uh, whether it was their training staff, uh, position coach, or the head coach, scout, any, anybody that was a personnel with every team I didn't talk to before the draft. And um, just watching the draft, um, I really didn't know why I didn't get taken. But when it went by, I just – it kind of like put a little fire under me all again. And I just, it was nothing new um, that I haven't experienced before. So I just knew when I got the opportunity, I had to be ready to go. What was the actual process like of getting added so late in the XFL's preparation and then ultimately making the team, right? Yeah. So it, it's kind of a coincidence, but with the Lions League, I came in the exact same time as I did with the XFL. It was like, with the last week, I came in with uh, four or five days left for camp and a preseason game. And with the XFL, it was the same exact situation. Came in four or five days left of camp and a preseason game. So it was kind of the same situation, a coincidence. But with the XFL, a lot of people didn't know that I was at a job interview and I had my Apple Watch on and I had my phone on silent because I was at a job interview and I get this phone call and I'm looking at my Apple Watch and there's a Seattle, Washington area code and I look down and I wasn't going to answer at first, but being a professional football player, you got to answer every call. And I answered and it was Tony Softly that called me and uh, he called me and told me about the opportunity and asked me if I was in shape and ready to go. And I said, yes, sir. And I was ready to go. And he got the he got the flight information and everything taken care of so I can go to Houston that day. And I just 
thanked him for that. He was um, he also gave me the opportunity to play in the NFL PA game out of college, so I also had good ties with him. So I, I just really thanked him for the opportunity. And once I got to camp, I just had to work hard and in a short amount of time and impress the coaches. You mentioned the rule changes. Uh, you know, anyone who participated in the first three spring league camps of the year did get a little bit of a preview of what the XFL was thinking. Uh, what have your imp- what have your impressions been so far of the the XFL's new rules on uh, pace of play, a lot of special teams rules, and and you got a preview uh, of those in in California. Yeah, I, I really like I really like what the XFL is doing. Uh, they speed up the play. It's a good tempo. I know special teams like such as punt, the gunners can't take off uh, until the ball is kicked, which allows more punt returns and not many fair catches. I know like there's a high fair catch percentage on punts in the NFL and XFL uh, basically cut that down by not giving um, the gunners uh, a start right right when the ball snaps. So I, I really like that rule. Uh, kick return and kickoff setup is pretty different, but I also like that um, it's it's a lot safer than getting a full out sprint and running down uh, and making a play. I know kickoff and kickoff is um, where most of the injuries in the NFL and other other leagues is where they um, a lot of injuries occur the most. For sure. Now, Seattle, along with D.C., I believe, appear to have the most former Spring League players on their final rosters. Um, uh-huh. in, in Seattle, and I don't know if you've all discussed your Spring League ties, so I, I hope I'm not uh, breaking any news to you, but uh, you're joined on offense by uh, Quintarius Aitman, and you've got uh, Tani Tupo, Tyson Graham, and Mohamed Cisse on defense. Uh, so uh-huh. of those guys, uh, ha- has your Spring League experience come up amongst uh-huh. you guys uh, uh, talking about your football pasts? Yeah, I have been uh, friends with Tyson as well. He was another person who recommended the spring lead to me. Uh, we had first met in Atlanta Falcons together, so we had stayed close uh, all through our journey from the Falcons up into the XFL. So, yeah, it's, it's cool to meet other players who um, have similar experiences and similar journeys to me, such as participating in the spring lead and now we're on the same team and playing together and chasing the same thing well i guess i need to hit up tyson and get him on the pod <laughs> um but uh your your head coach now jim zorn is a former former nfl quarterback former nfl head coach um and considered a seattle legend due to his nine seasons with the seahawks uh so you mentioned uh-huh. mike singletary before but what has it been like uh for you to be coached up by someone with that kind of resume oh yes uh coach zorn he's he's a great coach uh he brings a lot of energy um, he's very dialed in and very connected with the city of Seattle. And he's, um, very, con- he's very focused on our team being the best and representing Seattle in the best way we can. Um, every day in practice, he basically gives us a chance to go out there and compete and earn the right to win the game. Uh, and I know our first game is coming up Saturday, so this will be a real test to all the work that we have put in. What what have your impressions of Seattle been like? Have you spent much time in the Pacific Northwest? Um, no, this is the furthest I've been away from home. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and this is very far. I know uh, my parents usually make it to every one of my football games, but being in Seattle is kind of tough for them to make it to 
every game out here because of flights and all type of stuff. So it's, it's very different. Um, Seattle is a beautiful city, um, even though it rains every day. It's <laughs> kind of cold in the weather, but I didn't got used to it with also all the other locals is used to it by now. So kind of feel like I'm, I'm a local now here and I'm used to it and it doesn't bother me. Gotcha. Well, um, half the half the XFL will be in uh, current or former NFL stadiums. So that's uh, your Dragons in the Seahawks Stadium, uh, the Guardians at MetLife Stadium, the Battlehawks at the Dome where the Rams used to play in St. Louis, uh, and the Tampa Bay Vipers at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, the other four are at diff- different youth stadiums like baseball in Arlington, soccer in L.A. and D.C., college football in Houston, obviously. Um, we know a football field is a standard size, but have you put any thought into the types of venues you'll be playing at this, this season, whether it's the size of an NFL stadium or maybe the quirks of playing football in a baseball stadium? Yes, I, that's one thing that the first thing I noticed about the XFL that was different from the other league that I played in previous. Uh, these venues are top-of-the-line venues and, and the top cities in the world. So I definitely feel like these games are going to be very high in the, in the fan attendance, and it's going to be nice, um, a nice experience uh, playing at these different stadiums. Uh, I've never played in CenturyLink, and I've never played in some of the other stadiums, but I did get a chance to play in MetLife uh, when I was at the Atlanta Falcons in my preseason game against the Jets. But these uh, facilities are really cool, and I can't wait to play in each of them, each one of them. In my opinion, the Dragons have the best-looking uniforms in the league. So uh-huh. what was some of the feedback you heard from your teammates and maybe even league mates when you were all together in Houston about the XFL's uniform designs? Oh, yes. Um, everyone on our team definitely feels like we definitely have the best uniforms. I know we had we had came across other teams when we was out in Houston, and they all complimented us on our uniforms, and all, they also thought that we also had some of the top uniforms in the league. and. They were just very uh, surprised by how good our uniforms looked and everything. So, yeah, I love our uniforms. Nice. Now, uh, in my research for doing this podcast with you, there's this letter you wrote to your mom on, I think, a school project assignment that has followed you in almost every piece I read about you um, Uh from stop to stop. I didn't see an age associated with it, but your handwriting's pretty good, to be honest. So let's say late elementary school, if I'm getting that right. Um, Yeah. you you know you remember how old you were in this? Uh, this was middle school. I was actually uh, in sixth grade. Uh, we had a seminar, and this was the first time I heard about the word, the term legacy, and how will you be remembered? And so, after the seminar we had, I know we had a each student we had to basically write a letter to one of our family members that we basically was closest to whether it was your mom, dad, grandma, it, it didn't matter. And uh, I'm a mama's boy. So I wrote to my mom and just basically just told her how I wanted my legacy to be and what I wanted to be remembered as. And that you're right. This has, it has stuck with me and just played a uh, huge role in me continue to not give up and continue to pursue other opportunities. Um, with football and is keeping me humbled and level-headed as well. 
Well, what I think is interesting about that is that, you know, I think any young athlete realizes the tiny odds they have at making their living out of the sport they play. Um, But it seems like you are hyper aware of those odds stacked against you. um, And you were determined to overcome that at a very young age, middle school. Um, Uh, Yes. What was it inside of you that that you knew so young how hard this would be and that you wouldn't stop? So I I started playing uh, sports at a very young age. I started playing at the age of five, uh, whether that was peewee or AU basketball. And I've always always been a kid that had skill um, because my parents pushed me um, off, off the field and off the basketball court as well. They pushed me and um, worked with me as well. So I've always had skill, but seems like even at an early age, every team I played on, I had to take a back seat to another player who – Maybe had a little bit more talent than me, but um, was getting all the looks. So at an early young age, I kind of see how politics and everything was going to play a part in success and me continue to play sports at the highest level. Now, last question. You know, like so many others in the XFL, you've you've gotten a taste of the NFL, um, but not necessarily uh-huh. that final hurdle of making the active roster. Um, what's Saturday going to feel like for you, accomplishing your dreams of, of becoming an active roster professional? Uh, it's going to be big time. Um, I'm so excited for Saturday. It can't come soon enough. Um, just, I just want to go out there and not let the moment get too big. I just go out there, show the world what I can do, because I'm sure everyone will be turn, uh, tuned in. We're the first game. We're the kickoff of the XFL. And everyone's going to be watching whether that's old NFL coach or other XFL teams. So I just – I've earned the right in practice uh, to go out and play. So it's just all about putting it together on, on national TV. Well, I feel you. I'm excited for you. I hope uh, one of these days you don't have to, to try so hard for your look. But, uh, you know, that, uh-huh. seems, that seems to be the pattern. And uh, I'm sure that, that drive and that effort is going to treat you well. Yeah, I agree. Yes, sir. All right, thank you for joining us, Dantes. Thank you. All right, that will do it for episode number 30. Dantes joined us right from the Dragons' final practice before game day, and he will be traveling cross-country by the time you're hearing this for Seattle's Week 1 game and the first game of the XFL calendar this Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern against the D.C. Defenders. You can catch that game on ABC. Thanks to Dantes for the time, and good luck this weekend. You can follow The Spring League on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Spring League. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Alex Goldstick. All music was provided to The Spring Forward podcast by Joshua Rosner. Till next time, later. Later.